Hello and welcome back to Hacker Soccer. I'm Jacob Pettigrew. I'm Andre Garive. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Ben Stewart. This is where you say, say hi, hi. Ben. <laughs> hey, I'm Ben Stewart. <laughs> ben is a classmate of ours in the Rakes program. He'll also be yep. joining us in Seattle. He's yes, my future he roommate. He's my current roommate. Yep. So very excited to have him on the show. Yes. He uh, wrote and composed the song that you hear in the background of our ads yeah, and at the true. beginning of end of every show. You know his work. So uh, <laughs> yeah, he's just going to join us to talk about the news and everything. And then we're going to talk about some music tech after the break. So yeah. stay tuned for that. So. First, with some follow-up, um, Ben probably will have no idea what we're talking about, but uh, do you know about the app Robinhood? Yes. Okay, so a little bit ago, they put out this big statement about how they were going to have like a debit card and like a checkings account, um, and basically it turned out that that's not really how it works. You can't just say you're going to do that and insure it like uh, yeah. a brokerage like they are yes. right now. <laughs> so they've officially filed to be like a real bank uh, oh, okay. over this past week, so... That is eventually coming. Uh, I'm still looking forward to the future where I can get my paycheck deposited into my like Robinhood account and like yeah. never use a real bank again um, for no particular reason, just because. <laughs> but yeah, so that'll be cool. Um, hopefully, eventually that actually comes out. And then next, Comcast is sharing its stake in Hulu, or they're in talks to do it, which would make Disney the like entire owner of Hulu. Interesting. Which that, is uh, just weird because... They just came out with Disney Plus. Yeah, I mean, it's not even out yet. It's coming out in yeah. August. And the fact that they're about to completely own Hulu, kind of... I don't know. It'll be weird to see how that evolves. Do you think they'll eventually merge the two? Um, I mean, it seems like they've already built out their own platform, yeah. right, from all the stuff they've I, shown. You would have thought that they would have built it into Hulu if they were going to do that. Yeah. But um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if it becomes an add-on. Because like we talked about last week... Um, Hulu has kind of become like an add-on service where you just kind of add on whatever yeah. extra services. Get it with Spotify, yeah. a bunch of stuff like that. Um, but I don't know like what Disney will be able to bring to it as like the sole owner because they already have a lot of their content on there. I don't know. I'm not yeah. a big Hulu guy, but so I'm, I'm not really too concerned with what they do with it, to be honest. I love Hulu just because I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine like every day on it. Um, they come out with the new episodes at 4 a.m. on Fridays, and sometimes I actually stay up until 4 a.m. on Friday nice. to watch the new episode. <laughs> oh, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move into the news. Uh, Amazon announced one-day shipping. They're starting yes, to roll it out nationwide that. free for Prime customers. I got Prime an email customers. about that. Yeah, so that's going to be the new default for Prime customers. Did you know about that, Ben? No, how is that even possible? Yeah, so they already have one-day <laughs> shipping in some areas where they have like their warehouses and stuff. Um, but they're going to just start, you know, building that infrastructure, uh, across the platform and hopefully be able to offer that to all their users, which I think is insane. Um, and when you think about that, you know, you think like, how are the other people going to keep up? You know, you have your Walmarts and everything. Well, well, here's a quote from Walmart. They tweeted one day free shipping dot, dot, dot without a membership fee. Now that would be groundbreaking. Stay tuned from the Walmart <laughs> Twitter account. <laughs> That's basically what they did with their free two day shipping yeah. uh, with no membership as they were like, all right, uh, Amazon, we're going to just up you here and not make people pay for delivery. Yeah. So I guess, you know, Walmart's trying to stick with it um, and potentially, you know, make a better deal if you don't have to pay for a prime on yeah. Walmart. But the biggest problem with Walmart is that they don't have as much, nearly as much yeah. as Amazon. Mm -hmm. How does Amazon like? How could they possibly ship anywhere in the country in one day? Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> that, that's the <laughs> that's question. Their whole thing. One of the interesting things was how they they talked about how um, 
Amazon is actually building up their own like fleet. Like so they are kind of starting to take UPS out of the picture where at this point they have like, you know, their own aircraft. So they like actually ship a lot of their own stuff. They're opening up hubs like in airports. So yeah. I think a lot of it is just that vertical integration where they're able to, mm-hmm. you know, control our, all parts of the process. I think we're getting closer to my dream of having a fleet of self-driving Tesla semis <laughs> delivering every single Amazon package. Yeah, and then, you know, the drones are in <laughs> yes, the semis the and the pick packages, it up. <laughs> yes. you know, fly out of the semis and the drones and go straight <laughs> to your house. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know where they go next, you know, same day shipping. We'll have to stay tuned shipping. For, yeah, for one hour shipping. Yeah, it's like, what the heck? Um, but, I mean... The one note that I had on here after that was imagine your spree tail, you know, you just yeah. launch your, uh, <laughs> you just launch your retail site. Your whole thing was how you're doing two day shipping on like certain products, um, to stay up with Amazon and you're blowing a lot of cash to do it. And now Amazon's like, actually, you know, we've been doing that two day thing for a while now. I think we're going to jump to one day. Yeah. Oh. Uh, if you don't, uh, or rather if you aren't from the Lincoln, Nebraska area, Spreetail is a local startup. It's one of the biggest startups here in Lincoln. Um, and they just launched a site that basically is Amazon for the outdoor equipment type stuff. Um, <laughs> and now Amazon comes out and uh, says one day shipping. Yeah, so it'll be an interesting time. I just kind of wonder what the, the Spreetail exec team thought when they read that news. Yeah. Probably weren't too happy, but yeah. Okay, so next there's a new project that came out of Google's accelerator called CallJoy. Andre, did you see this? I did not see this. Okay, so CallJoy is a virtual customer service. Oh, wait, yes, I saw this. The small business thing, yes. So basically they're combining their um, AI... Um, like voice recognition software with their like virtual phone number stuff that they have through you know all the various services they've offered throughout the years um, and so the idea is that customers could like call a restaurant ask for a reservation and then it could complete that or say like uh, I'm texting you a link to the reservation form right now and it's like one of the features is like instant text to so, do stuff like that. So if some if somebody with a Pixel calls a company that has Google Voice, <laughs> uh, it will be a robot scheduling a reservation with a robot. I didn't even think about that. They should have like a secret password so they can just skip that whole thing yeah. and talk straight to each other. That's insane. But yeah, so 39 bucks a month, which is honestly like very affordable. That's pretty affordable for a small business, yeah. Yeah, and I think like it's even cheaper than a lot of like just the business regular phone offerings from what I was seeing. So yeah, um, and then the other stuff that they do is they can protect from spam and then give you a lot of analytics information. Yeah. But yeah, so that'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, Next, Tesla was sued uh, because of a crash that happened (sighs) with a Model X where it crashed into the medium with its autopilot engaged so oh i think i saw this yeah yeah, someone died like it was crazy so um essentially what happened was the car accelerated the brake was not engaged and it slammed into a medium and so the person's family is suing and the lawyer argued that tesla is beta testing their autopilot software on the lives of their drivers oof which is (laughs) yeah a big oof yeah I mean, I think everyone's kind of aware that, like, Tesla's rolling out this kind of limited version of self-driving stuff yeah. on these cars and expecting people to be able to, like, you know, react to it and yeah, control if, it. Even if you put your car on autopilot, I, you are still driving the car. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I mean, at least my logic would lead me to believe that you're still liable for whatever that car does. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 
I mean, that's what's going to happen uh, if you're not paying attention. I don't know. I don't know all that much about the story, but yeah, the report said he hadn't touched a wheel in like 15 minutes, and like yeah. it, it flashed up a warning, like oh, like you should have your hands on the wheel, and like it just does that. You know, it, it can't make yeah. you put your hands on a wheel, and so it just had an issue. You know, like maybe, maybe it'll read something uh, wrong, and they should just implement a failsafe where if you don't have your hands on the wheel and you refuse to put your hands on the wheel, it pulls over and stops. Yeah, I mean, maybe it does that after a certain amount of time, but... I mean, he's still expected to be driving the car. If they, exactly. they gave him the warning, like, it's not a self-driving car. It's mm-hmm. like... He, he has a driver's license. Yeah. He is the one operating that vehicle. Yeah, that's a, that was Tesla's position. They, you know, acknowledged that they saw the autopilot was engaged, but said that it was, you know, his responsibility to pay attention. Um, but I mean, Andre, last episode, we talked about how close a lot of this self-driving tech is. Like if Tesla's going to be rolling out self-driving Uber next year. Well, yeah. Okay. We want a million self-driving taxis by the end of next year and we're Mm -hmm. still getting into crashes. I don't know. You know, we're still saying like, oh, but also these cars technically can't drive themselves. So their software has a long way to go in the next year if that's the leap they're planning to make. I wonder how the crash happened. Because you'd think that if a crash were to happen, it'd be because of, you know, an uncalculated error from another driver but mm-hmm. crashing into a median has nothing to do with any other driver yeah so in the article it talked about how um the guy recognized that there were issues in the same spot in the past so like it was just something weird where like maybe you know the lane lines were messed up and it detected it wrong and it tried to swerve hard so like the guy had told his family like oh yeah like that area is really jank with the autopilot and then you know still use the autopilot on that area so that was part of tesla's argument was like yeah. he knew the risk and he knew about the issue even. I mean, as much as I hate to be on the side of Tesla, this guy was definitely liable for what happened. But also, uh, it kind of makes you wonder, maybe two cameras, like Elon Musk said, or yeah. eight cameras, or however many cameras, maybe you need more sensors. Maybe you uh-huh. need to make it more expensive to be safer. And the other thing that I think it relates to is if you remember, there was the like the first self-driving crash was when like Uber killed the person yes, with their self-driving in cars. Arizona. And so for a while they stopped doing road tests, mm-hmm. and when they came back, it was because they had a new training program for the drivers. Yes, where they were specially trained to know what to look for and be able to take over mm-hmm. if the self-driving system messed up. Yeah, and essentially what Tesla's doing is putting normal drivers in that driver's seat. Like they have this self-driving system. They're saying you have to have your hands on the wheel. But if it's only beeping at you every 15 minutes, you know, a lot of people get good at ignoring that. Yeah. And so you just trust the car. And if you're not like a trained self-driving test driver, then, you know, you might not have the speed to, you know, be able to take over in time. Yeah. Having your hands on the wheel uh, on an autopilot Tesla is the same as, not the same, but very similar to wearing a seatbelt um, when your car yeah. beeps at you to wear a seatbelt. True. I mean, if I was in a self-driving Tesla, I would love to take my hands off the wheel, though. You know? Yeah. Like, I'd be really tempted to just sit there and, you know, diddle on my phone. Especially since this guy this guy obviously took the route. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, but if it's just your commute. You're like, oh, it does yeah. this every day. Like, I'm just going to sit here on my phone. Yep. That's, uh, technology can, can bug. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think it's ethical of Tesla to train their product on normal drivers who buy their product? That's a very deep question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it, like, they have to know what they're getting into. Yeah. Um... Which I think that with a lot of this stuff, Tesla, like a lot of the Tesla customers were probably saying like, oh yeah, I'll keep my hands on the wheel because that's what you're saying we have to do legally. Like, you know, I know I actually trust your stuff. So I don't know. I feel like a lot of these guys were probably just thinking that they could trust it more than they could. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's tough. It is. It's a really tough question. And, uh, 
It's, that's for Tesla to deal with and not me. True. Yeah, we'll see what they do. So next up, Facebook had their giant conference yeah. where they announced new Facebook. Everyone's yeah. got a conference these days. I didn't <laughs> even know this was happening. Yeah. And then I just got a ton of notifications about Facebook, and I was like, whoa, okay. It's like, oh, there's six stories in the news about Facebook in a row. What the heck happened? Is that like, why their logo changed? Yeah, so their logo yes. changed. Um, they're doing, uh, Mark Zuckerberg called it their biggest redesign ever. Um, and essentially what it looks like is now it's as much white as possible and a little bit of blue, <laughs> not yep. much like that purpley color anymore. Yep. It's supposed to be a lighter, more friendly design. So um, like the app store. Yeah. So like the <laughs> app store, so like Twitter, you know, like it's yeah. kind of the same design we're seeing everywhere. Yeah. I had noticed it changed and I was like, Oh, this is, this is interesting. But, um, they kept like the little Facebook logo up in the top mm-hmm. left corner. And I'm not sure, like, I know I'm on Facebook. <laughs> I opened the app on purpose. Yeah. Um, whereas when I open Twitter, it doesn't say Twitter anywhere, like at all. It says home, <laughs> and uh, I can just go up. It. I don't know. Also, didn't he say they're like moving away from the timeline? Yeah. Or... So they kind of put like so what they put emphasis on in the conference was what a lot of people read into on like being their focus for the next few years. So. Um, they talked a lot about groups, um, and they talked a lot about Marketplace and their video service, yes. Facebook Watch. They didn't talk about Facebook News, which is, like, their big controversial thing. And they didn't talk a lot about, like, your main news feed and your, like, you know, home screen. Yeah. Because I think they're kind of trying to transition to, you know, more uh, of that, get everybody in a group, get everybody engaged in a group, um to get more like relevant content and then you know marketplace and watch have kind of been just uh facebook replacements for existing companies yeah and so they're trying to kind of build those platforms up more and then additionally they pushed a lot of messages features trying to make messages more social so kind of like a story style screen uh like snapchat has Mm -hmm. and then talking about how they're going to end-to-end encrypt that and the other big focus was obviously privacy yes um which was extremely awkward to watch i watched some of the (laughs) the conference and he said some things that you know like about how you know facebook is gonna the future is private yes i I saw that quote it was awkward in the room like not a lot of clapping and i'm like i'm pretty sure that room's just filled with facebook employees so i think that uh (laughs) but yeah so um uh, it's it's cool that they're still trying to redesign, still trying to push forward. I like the direction of focusing on groups, um, but none of it really made me want to use Facebook. Yeah. But, I mean, the the thing that I do use Facebook for still is the groups that are only on Facebook. Exactly. Uh, also, uh, I saw that they're adding end-to-end encrypted WhatsApp video on the portal, Yeah. Um, which will help it kind of travel. I think it'll make it... Um, more internationally popular because mm-hmm. WhatsApp is so popular in places like India and Europe. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I don't use it. Like there, I never use Facebook Messenger except for like one group that I have. Yeah, that's a Facebook Messenger. Group. For me, it's been like, oh, there's this person I'm in a class with. I don't have his phone number. Yeah, but we're friends on Facebook, so I can. I know I can usually because you don't want to slide into those Canvas DMs. Yeah, I don't really need to <laughs> message them on our school's Canvas service. But yeah, um, yeah, I don't. I don't use any of that too much. But um, they're definitely you know building up the technology. If people our age ever start using it, there's plenty yeah. of plenty of stuff to use. It's yeah. just I don't know how much it's ever going to swing back in their direction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the future is private, apparently. 
the awkward room probably means that the employees know that's not true. <laughs> They're like, we're looking at all this data. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> so along with that conference, Instagram announced some new features. They're going to start letting yes. influencers sell stuff directly on their pages. So now instead of just, you know, awkwardly having your comment be about some product, yeah. you can sell stuff directly uh, on the page. Instagram is the perfect platform for influencers and i think they've finally accepted that and yeah. accepted that everybody popular on there is gonna try to sell stuff whether they use their platform or not yeah so. well and they're just embracing the monetization of instagram exactly you know, we talked early, uh, like a, probably a month ago about how they were gonna bring out donations uh on instagram stories yes. and like this is you know just a logical other related thing it's like mm -hmm. yeah you can sell stuff these people are trying to sell products yeah you might as well just you know not make them have to go through links and all that and stuff. it's not like it's a hard thing for facebook to add to instagram no i don't know yeah so uh the other things that they're doing are kind of trying to uh reduce the emphasis on likes and followers yeah i saw that aren't they hiding the like count on yeah. Photos. Yep. So uh, when you go to someone's profile, the follower count will be smaller. Um, and then it, if you're scrolling through pictures, uh, you won't see the like count on photos. You can scroll through and, you know, count how many people liked it if you wanted to, but there won't be a like count and you won't even see it on pictures you post unless you opt in. Huh. I think that's a positive change. I feel like society kind of overemphasizes like, oh, this person follows more people than follow them or like they have this many likes so it'll probably just be positive so like there's no implicit judgment on people's photos or account just by how many likes or followers they have yeah i agree and like i've started you know like as you get older you care less about likes and everything you just yeah. kind of post what you feel like get posting. older as go from 16 to 19 yeah <laughs> as in, like you're no longer in high school you're yeah. super concerned about everything but um i still like if i post a picture i'm like oh how is it doing like compared yeah, to my like, other pictures and mm -hmm. you know i'd rather not think about that stuff it's like who mm -hmm. really cares yeah it's like i i want to show people what i'm doing but i don't want to feel so bad about like oh how many likes did this one get how many likes did this mm -hmm. one get yeah and i think you know for people who are just coming on instagram it'll be a much healthier thing for them never yes. having been in that you know yeah. era and twitter's doing a similar thing too hiding favorites so yeah i'm interested to see because of my younger siblings the oldest one is 10 so they're not on social media yet but like my siblings will inevitably join social media platforms mm -hmm. and i'm interested to see what their experiences will be like having like privacy in mind and having these social structures already have been built because like i joined twitter when i in 2011 mm -hmm. uh when nobody knew how to use twitter twitter didn't even know what they were doing yeah your uh, parents don't know what's going on like it was a totally yeah. different thing yeah, so um, it'll be well, interesting. They'll, they'll to see. be on TikTok anyways. So yeah, yeah. Oh, it won't really matter. Yeah. I, I finally deleted <laughs> oh, TikTok gosh. like a week ago. That's I was like, I, I don't use this anymore. <laughs> uh, it, it was a fun adventure. It did kind of make me excited for Byte, though, the Vine successor. Oh, yeah. I don't know, like a more mature version of TikTok. I could yeah. see myself getting into it a little bit. Yes, I end up watching a lot of like YouTube videos that are like TikToks that radiate the same energy as Vines. And it's like, <laughs> oh, this is just another Vine compilation, but with stuff I haven't seen before. It was funny, in our dorms, um, I think it was like last Friday or something, I was walking past the lobby and there were people watching Vine compilations <laughs> on uh, the TV in there. And I just went in and sat down for a while and I was like, there are so many of these that I've never seen, just Vine compilations on YouTube. Yeah. And there's still so much funny stuff that I never uh -huh. got to see. It's exactly. Like, there's definitely room for like a more comedic social media, I feel like. Absolutely. 
Okay, next, we got something special. Okay, I've been waiting for this. Yeah, so, um, kind of a surprise, we have a big update uh, on the Quadria story, which, if you will recall, was the big crypto... Yes! Okay. Oh, I've been waiting for this. Is he alive? I'm assuming Ben doesn't know about this. Please tell me he's alive. There's not really an exciting ending to it. It's just kind of... Oh, no, is he actually dead? I have (laughs) catching up. So I have a big... Okay. Ben's cold on this. I'm assuming a lot of our listeners are too. So we're gonna we're gonna start from the beginning. Okay. It's one of my favorite stories of this year so far. <laughs> it's so good. So the most popular cryptocurrency exchange in Canada was called Quadra CX. It was founded in 2013, um, and it was founded by um, these two guys, and it kind of you know started. You know you'll you'll start to smell a little little fishy smell when I start describing this. So. The CEO uh, is like known for like flaunting his cash. He owns a plane, multiple houses. You know, he got he got crypto rich. Yes. Um, and then his co-founder, um, people did some investigating and are suspecting that he's using a fake name, and is actually a convicted money launderer. So those two guys coming together to make a crypto exchange went a little something like this. <laughs> In January of 2018, uh, there was an issue uh, where the Canadian government couldn't figure out who owned one of their bank accounts, so they froze $30 million of their assets um, because they couldn't identify who owned it. Well, because the bank had a lot, of, or the exchange had a lot of their funds frozen, they weren't able to uh, give users access to their funds. And so, like in the period of a month, they went from like the most popular uh, cryptocurrency exchange in Canada to like basically lost all their traffic because it's like, oh, people are like, we can't trust you anymore. So they got into some financial trouble. um, And then after that, the CEO went on a honeymoon trip to India with his wife. Two weeks before he left, he changed his will so that she would get all of his assets. And then in Canada, or I mean, in India, he died. 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 In air quotes. Yep. Uh, they <laughs> said he died from Crohn's disease, and when he died, he took all of the passwords to the exchange's accounts with him. So $190 million in assets uh, became inaccessible. So what does that make you think? They're kind of shady people. They're in financial trouble. He went to India, a place that was reported to be, like, you know, one of the easiest places to get a fake death certificate, and died, and now his wife has all of these assets... This is a conspiracy we latched onto very hard yes. in, a, in an episode. Crohn's disease is, is bad, but it's not something that generally kills you. Supposedly if you very unlikely it. to die of at, yeah. at his age because he was a younger guy, like in his 30s. <laughs> so he, he died on December 12th. Um, and in the court, so like he died in, uh, in December. He had his funeral, or his wife had his funeral, and then after that, they released the fact that he was dead, and the uh, exchange was going to go bankrupt because they couldn't access any of their money. And so, a couple of you know interesting tidbits. Um, because this has all been in court, there was witness testimony about the funeral, and it was closed casket. Okay. <laughs> um, they... Um, said if you remember we talked about how like this money was in you know crypto wallets so you can look at them mm-hmm. and see what's there yeah you can see if the money since ever the time, moves yeah since... since the time of the story there's no money left in those wallets there's only like thousands of dollars left of the 190 million that was supposedly there so people are wondering you know where did the money go um a lot of money moved through those wallets but nothing like the 190 million that they're reporting are missing 
So there are a few competing theories. Obviously, the first one is that he faked his own death and is, you know, in the Bahamas right now, living off of his fortune. Uh, The second one is that they were in financial trouble already, which um, is kind of what a lot of people are backing. The CEO of Coinbase is saying that they had a bug when Ethereum, like, skyrocketed from being worth $200 to uh, (laughs) $1,300. And because, like, some assets were frozen during that, they oh, potentially yeah. owe a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and we're in the black for a while and covering that up. Mm-hmm. And so um, they're saying that maybe, you know, the guy really did die. And the people who were left were like, oh, crap, we actually don't have this money. So let's just say it's locked in these wallets and we can't access them. Yeah. And then the company will go bankrupt and we'll be fine. Um, and then lastly, it's that it's a money laundering scheme because of the guy with the fake name. Yeah. And the history of money laundering. And that they never really had the money in the first place. And that the exchange was just a setup. I would like to believe that this man entirely faked his own death. Uh, I have hoped that this was what happened (laughs) since the day that I heard this story the first time. We talked about it on two separate podcasts. um, And so this is the third time we've mentioned this. And I just really, really hope he is living it up somewhere uh, on crypto money and that he faked his own death because that would be the most exciting thing to happen in crypto. I've gotten my money taken from me from cryptocurrency exchanges. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I feel horrible. You got to tell that story. How did that happen? For everyone involved. Well, there's an exchange called Binance. No, no, I don't mean to trash on Binance, but Binance is a horrible exchange <laughs> and a sketchy company. But um, so I lost my phone over the summer. Andre yeah. was well, there, actually. He, he didn't lose his phone. He dropped it in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> we we ran and we tried to get it. But so Binance used Google authentic- like Authenticator. So basically your phone just gets like a unique key and it refreshes all the time. So only if you have your phone can you log in to the site. And so I lost my phone and I'm like, oh, well, what do I do now? And Binance is like, well, just like go through like our customer service steps. And they had like five different options. And it was like, all right, take a picture of your driver's license and send it to us. And I did. I tried like three times. And they're like, no, 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 this is invalid. There's another. And it's like, whatever, your email. And just like several different methods. But nothing worked. And I knew it wasn't going to work. And I lost a few hundred dollars. You're not giving your money back. No. And another time, another time, there was a currency called Ryblox. And I, I put... A lot of money into Ryblox. <laughs> I remember this. I made a good bit of money off Bitcoin, and so I'm like, I'm going to put it into this new thing called Ryblox. Um, and so the value of Ryblox triples right after I put all this money in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to keep going up. And then the crazy thing happens, Ryblox gets hacked. And so I lost all my money. That's what they said. They're like, our exchange was hacked. And so all your money's gone. Leave. And <laughs> Yeah, so there are a lot of people on Reddit trying to get their money back from this exchange, and basically the common sentiment is like, you might get like 10% of it back in like 10 years, but I would Hack not. the blockchain. <laughs> Hack the blockchain. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know, I'm excited, you know, for a few years from now when someone puts out a big, you know, book about all the crazy stories that happen with the explosion of these crypto exchanges. I hope that this guy is just living in the Bahamas, <laughs> writing his tell-all that he's going to send to some publisher in Canada as soon as it's done and be like, you didn't get this from me. Just the fact that there's witness testimony saying it was a closed casket. That's uh, just the funniest thing. It's I, like, I need a movie. About, I need I need like a YouTube original about this. 
There could definitely be like a Breaking Bad, except like just someone scamming people. On yes, uh, it's a great story, <laughs> and it's actually probably very true. Like of the like, I think it was like there's like 500 crypto exchanges in the world. Like almost all of them are not regulated at all, <laughs> and like 20 of them have lost all of their money. At some point oh or another. It's like, oh, there's been a lot of these hacks, you know? Yeah, might be some convenient hacks. But yeah, so I guess, Ben, when are you starting your crypto exchange since you made all your, your Bitcoin money? Oh, uh, next month it launches. Uh, <laughs> me and my partner, he's using a fake name. He has a <laughs> history of money laundering. Very trustworthy. But, yeah, yeah. All right, so with that, we'll take our break before we go into the main segment. All right. All right, we are back for the second time. You guys didn't hear it, but I messed up. So <laughs> we're back with Ben Stewart, our special guest. He's a computer science major, but he also has a minor in music tech. So we wanted to talk to him about music tech. Um, like we said, he has created a lot of jingles for us for this podcast, which is super dope. Um, and we just kind of wanted to talk to him about uh, his music setup, the software he uses, um, like how he got into it and uh, what he calls the three layers. So you want to you want to tell us what the three layers are first? Well, the three layers isn't a real thing, but, but um, I don't know. I was just thinking about how music tech really connects to the overall tech industry, and I feel like there's kind of three layers of software that people use. Um, on the bottom layer is like digital audio workstations. So what people make music on. So like GarageBand, um, Logic Pro X, which is just Apple's essentially GarageBand Pro, where you can make professional music. Not that you can't on GarageBand. Um, there's other software like Ableton, FL Studio, Pro Tools. Those are kind of the main digital audio workstations that people work with. Um, the second layer above that that a lot of people use is uh, virtual instruments, um, often called like VSTs. And so you can basically simulate any instrument with just software. Like, um, you know, every week someone's coming out with some new VST. It's just like, oh, this is a nice... Uh, bubbly pad synth and <laughs> i know what that means <laughs> yeah a lot a lot of people are making new software to just make new sounds so you can put in your music um and then the top layer is effects so like you know on this podcast uh you guys are using a compressor on your voices and there's tons of different compressor plugins and there's tons of different plugins for reverb for delay for so many different effects um i like to use one that makes my music sound like it was on a vinyl like it's a vinyl simulator and it gives it kind of a brush sound or makes it sound old timey if I want it to but yeah so those are the three layers that I kind of thought of yeah uh and just to note I'm the uh, uh air quotes audio engineer for this podcast <laughs> all I do is max out the compressor just just to try to reduce background noise uh and that that's about all I do um I could definitely learn a lot from Ben but uh you want to tell us like how you got into music tech because you and I are both musicians um but I have no idea about anything about music technology um I remember when the app acapella came out oh I remember that long time ago this actually actually has nothing to do with music (laughs) tech I don't know why I thought of this but um I remember like trying to make those little videos with like a piano or something and I was like wait a minute you can make these videos, but it wouldn't be recorded on my iPhone 4S. And so I had my little blue snowball microphone. I plugged it in my Mac. And then I just, like, started recording stuff on GarageBand. And over time, like, literally in the same place that I made those recordings on GarageBand, I now have a keyboard, a bass guitar, a guitar, a mic, an audio interface. And it's just grown into, like, kind of a studio over time. And so, you know, it just started as, like, I want to make this music with a microphone. And now it's, I want to try to make professional sounding music 
Awesome. Um, so you talked a little bit about your setup. Could you talk a little bit more about like what your audio interface does? Because a lot of people don't really know what that does. Um, I have a vague understanding of what it kind of helps you do, um, as well as like the software setup that you use. Yeah, um, totally. So an audio interface is basically one of, it's one of the key components for anyone who's trying to make their own music. Um, you could go without one if you use USB mics, but essentially an audio interface is just a way for you to connect microphones and other instruments to your computer. Because, you know, there's not a plug on your computer for a guitar jack, but on an audio interface there is, and you can adjust the input gain. And yeah, the audio interface also has outputs, and essentially that's all it is. It's just like an I.O. box, like input instrument, output to speakers, and it gives you a stereo output to whatever speakers you want. And it's of higher quality than your computer output just because it has a um, digital to analog converter inside of it. Um, other than that, um, as far as a hardware setup goes, uh, I just use a microphone and then any other instruments that I plug into that interface. So, so what kind of music do you typically make? Um, I'm not that into it. Like, I'm not a great producer yet, but I'm trying to get a lot better. Um, I've tried to make some like beats some like lo-fi yeah. beats it seems pretty popular right now and you know that's where i came up or that's why i brought up the vinyl plugin um and i make a lot of just like songs like i like to write songs on like guitar piano and then making the music really comes down to like recording the vocals the guitar piano part and then adding other instruments yeah we'll note that uh ben is a brilliant musician he uh Great singer. I hear him singing in the shower all the time. Uh, he is in the acapella group on campus, guitar player, piano player, very talented musician, which helps when you're uh, producing a lot of music like that. Um, what kind of software do you use? Um, I use Logic Pro X. And for those who don't know, Logic Pro X is Apple's digital audio workstation. And a digital audio workstation is just software to make music on. Um, and Logic Pro X, you know, like, it's kind of weird that Apple also has one of the best softwares for music production. Because, you know, they're already in, like, every industry. But yeah, um, it's interesting because Logic Pro X looks just like GarageBand. It has the same features of GarageBand, and it has more. So it's just kind of perfect for anyone who used GarageBand as a kid and then grew up and was like, I want to make music. And it's like, oh, I already know how to use this stuff because in fourth grade... I made songs on GarageBand. Yeah. Yeah, so I always wondered, like, what makes Logic Pro X, like, the extra $200 that you have to pay for it versus just using the GarageBand that comes free? Like, what can I not do in GarageBand? Well, um, GarageBand, I don't think, has a mixer like Logic Pro X does. And I think that's kind of the big difference. Um, that's, like, one thing. So Logic Pro X just has mixing channels, and so you can put effects on all of your tracks. You can put a variety of effects on all your tracks. And I think it allows you to input, or it definitely allows you to have external plugins where I don't think GarageBand does. Um, and that's kind of, that's really the big thing, you know, cause all making music is just like recording a bunch of different parts, whatever you want, and then mixing them together to make them sound good. Um, and other than that, other than just like that key mixer, it just has a ton of, you know, smaller features like low latency mode to make it so when you're recording there's just like no delay from input to output and you know more presets for like your voice whereas GarageBand has like oh you want a mouse voice here it is but Logic Pro has like 50 options of like yeah 
Yeah. I think the thing that made music production make more sense to me was when I started watching some like YouTube videos on like oh like reproducing the song and seeing the different like layers because I never really thought of music in terms of like layers of different tracks of instruments but like at a basic level you know like it, it's not really about like everything happening all at once like you were saying you, you process the different layers like oh just like the drums and then you add in like the vocals and like that sort of thing yeah I think that's a good like tool to like because there's some songs you listen to like um that end up and it's just like oh one voice one instrument fairly simple song and then you get into like dubstep or whatever and like 100 plus layers in a single song it's interesting to see like you know all the crazy stuff that goes into layering up a song yeah yeah um i think it's a lot simpler than most people think because when you listen to a song you hear the whole song but i think a skill that a lot of music producers have is to break that down like jacob was saying could just like just to notice like oh this is just a drum part a bass part a guitar a piano and vocals and then like you've split up the song and you've found all the elements you need and in dubstep that's obviously much harder but you know if you were to see the actual file they're using to make that like in logic you'd realize that maybe there's like 30 parts but it's still somewhat simple yeah, it's, it's kind of like if you go to the orchestra and you hear this brilliant song with all of these intricate string parts and uh, the, all the beautiful horns that are playing, but then you realize, oh, it's still it's still just a score that is layered on top of each other, um, and, and each part serves its own separate purpose. And yeah. in music tech, it's just a, an audio file rather than a line of a page of music for each player. Yeah. Like, with a lot of things, it's just, like, several simple elements put together to make one complex thing. Yeah. Um, so you've taken a, a few classes so far here at the university because of your minor. Uh, could you tell us about some of the stuff that you've, like, learned in college when it comes to music production? Um, yeah. So I've taken three classes. One of them was just, like, an honor seminar, uh, digital music creation, I think it was called. And it was really simple. I guess I won't really talk about that class. Um Mostly, I'll talk about the second class I took. It was really the only one that I think was extremely valuable to me, and that was just a class on mixing, and that's why I use Logic Pro X now, is because, you know, I think schools just decide, like, we're going to use this software for our music tech program, um, but essentially in that class, I didn't learn how to make music, like, I didn't learn how to play piano, but I learned, like, you know, if I have all of these parts, how do I mesh them together to sound more cohesive, and so, um, essentially, he just... The professor just took us into the mixer and is like, well, this is when you want to use compressor. This is when you want to use reverb. This is when you want to change the EQ of a sound. Um, and just basically taught us how to make cohesive songs out of simple elements. Interesting. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about like the the style of music that like you like making in like your process of making that music? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... A lot of the music that I've made recently has been just kind of songs. Like, when you imagine a songwriter, you imagine some, you know, guy at a coffee shop with a guitar or something. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what I've been doing recently is just, like, um, really a song just comes down to, like, chords, rhythm, and a melody. And so I'll just write some chords on a guitar, I'll sing along to it, maybe write some lyrics, and then, you know, I'll have a song that I could perform just with a guitar, but... You know, I a lot of people want more than just a guitar and vocals for their song, and so I take that. I take those chords. They could theoretically be played on any harmonic instrument, and then 
I use it to create, you know, several other elements in a Logic Pro project. And so I'll maybe make like a synth, um, a piano part, maybe record the guitar, and then add some drums and some bass to make it more interesting. Cool. Um, Jacob, did you have any other questions about his process or anything like that? Um, and so I guess one of the things that I've seen is there's somewhat like, so one of my friends produces music for a lot of people and he has like his whole studio and stuff. Do you know Ross Grebe? Yeah. Yeah. So like he's done some pretty cool stuff with another one of my friends, no, no flourish. Like he's gotten pretty, he's got, I think one of his songs got like 20,000 streams or something. It is like 250,000. Yeah. 250,000 streams. Like, so, um, has that like this whole kind of just being able to get your music onto Spotify and getting on the discover weekly, is that part of like what's motivating you to make music or are you more just like trying to keep it to yourself, do it as a hobby kind of thing? Um, I, I haven't really gotten to that point yet. I'm just trying to do it myself. I want to make things that like I enjoy, you know, I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not even close to the point where I want to like share my music on Spotify. It's more like I hear music and it's like, this makes me happy. You know, like I really like this song and like, I want to make that song, you know, I just, I, I guess it'd be, I'd feel a lot of pride if I could make a song that someone else would hear and be like, wow, this makes me happy. I enjoy this a lot. But I guess I'd like to touch on another point that you said, um, or just like another facet of what you talked about. I think it's a really interesting time for music in the tech industry because like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't make, you, you couldn't release music unless you were signed under like some major record label. But mm-hmm. now... Like, any eight-year-old with a laptop could make a song, release on Spotify, and become famous, you know? It's just a crazy time, and it just makes a lot more room for different software and different hardware, and just, there's a huge market now since music is in the hands of anyone who wants to make it. Yeah, well, so one of the crazy things is there's this guy I watch on YouTube called Kenny Beats. Like, he's produced some pretty well-known songs, um, and he does all of his stuff off of just his MacBook. So he has a studio that has all the complicated equipment and stuff. And when he's recording, like, uh, you know, uh, professional uh, musicians will come in and use his microphones and everything. But he, he does a show where, like, he has an artist come in, like, freestyle on a track, so he just makes a beat for them quick. And when he's doing that, um, he's hitting all the notes, like, making all the beats just by tapping his MacBook keyboard. And I'm sitting there watching, like, this is the same MacBook I have. Like, there's nothing really stopping me from doing the same thing except for uh, the fact that I don't have any musical skills. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> is that why you borrowed my keyboard? Oh, no. Like, <laughs> well, it was... So I borrowed Ben's MIDI keyboard because I was like, oh, I kind of want to learn how to play the piano. Uh, I learned a little bit as a kid and then fell off. And, like, I want to do something to get back into music this year. Um, and, in, you know, I've been trying to find that. But it was actually one of the things that made me be like, oh, I can return this to Ben. Because, like, this professional producer doesn't need that. Like, if this guy can make song like make songs that get millions of streams and, you know, chart on the billboard just by, you know, using his built-in MacBook keyboard, yeah. you know, why do I need any more than that to learn how to make music, you know? Yeah, I think what I'm hearing there is that uh, we're going to make Jacob go busking with us this summer in Seattle. Yes. <laughs> I'm uh, bringing my saxophone out. I'm hoping Ben has a guitar. You guys going to go busking? Honestly? We, we should. <laughs> you have to get a permit in Seattle. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I love but how you've looked this up already. I have. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, with, with all of the accessibility to uh, create music, do you think if you 
obviously like you've been a musician before you knew you could just like release music do you think you would be as into this type of music or production had there not been this accessibility to it um i guess like if the accessibility to like spotify and stuff wasn't available i would still be just as into it but if you know if it wasn't so easy to record on like logic and just to like buy a microphone and audio interface and just like start making music i probably wouldn't be because you know like it's a pretty big barrier otherwise to just like go in and make music like it seems really hard and I, I thought it was really intimidating before and like the only thing that kind of pushed me to get into it was the fact that i was like all i really need is a few things and i could make anything so yeah. i think the accessibility is crucial for me and probably for a lot of people i think it's a lot like programming in that same way where it's like you know if you're a kid in high school you can get into this stuff um, yeah just with a lot of the stuff you already have it doesn't it's like a lot of things these days where it doesn't require the same amount of like expensive, you know, resources that it did yeah. in the past. For sure. All right. You got any more questions? I think that's all I got. Got anything else to say? No. All right. Uh, I'll probably get one of Ben's songs from him and play this as the outro rather than the regular outro. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we were super happy to have Ben on. We didn't really have a topic. So I said, Ben, you're coming on the podcast. <laughs> 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 I'm honored to be here. Yeah. All right. You can contact us on Twitter at HackersPod. Send us an email at hackerslackerpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, and we will talk to you next week from somewhere that is not this room. Yeah, there we go. Last time in the studio. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.